Everybody knows the Earth is billions and billions of years old, though the Bible sure seems to imply at least something else. Well, let's talk about the age of the Earth today on Beyond the Notes. I'm Pastor Russell Howard, and this is the first Beyond the Notes episode for this year, and it's good to be with you. We began a sermon series this week at McGregor in the book of Genesis, and the, uh, the Sunday morning series on the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis is not going to be a, a creation science primer, but you do come at Genesis with a worldview, you can't avoid it. And there's no more contested pass, uh, set of passages or a section of God's word that is more uh, subject to all kinds of, of interpretive criticism and all kinds of, everybody has an opinion about where did we, where'd we come from in the earth and where'd we come from as, as human beings and all those sorts of things, the universe itself for that matter. And one of the side topics that I find particularly fascinating is the issue of, well, how old is all of this? How long ago did God create? Without apology, my own position is and has been for many, many decades uh, that the Earth's age is best spoken of in terms of thousands of years, not millions, certainly not billions. And uh, I believe that that is, that is the clear uh, portrait that is painted in Scripture. I also believe, as a matter of, of a faith assertion, as I said in the, in the message last Lord's Day, the... Uh, Whatever you believe about origins, you believe by faith. You weren't there. I wasn't there either. So you cannot have observational knowledge of how things began. So what you believe, you believe by faith. And then the question becomes, what is most shaping that faith? Is the, uh, is the um, natural science apart from, often opposed to God, um, uh, publication arm of some, I don't know, Smithsonian Institution or Nat Geo or uh, the Discovery Channel? Are they, are they giving you the real truth and then you somehow got to make your biblical understandings fit with it? Or does God's word have the last word and then whatever else you, you would learn or observe in the natural sciences must be brought into conformity with what God seems to be saying in his, in his word? And, and I, I want to acknowledge again that I, I get that there is legitimate debate among people who love Jesus a lot on some of these secondary matters uh, in orbit around the subject of creation. I acknowledge that, and I'm not here to try to you know, carve out a narrower confession than our church's confession. But I do think there are some things worth pointing out. And today I want to talk to you about five of my personal favorite uh, evidences from science that the earth is in fact less old than some geologists or other cosmologists would tell us they think it is. And again, nobody living today was there. 
So everyone is drawing some faith conclusion based on those evidences which they accept as most authoritative. Well, here are some evidences for a younger earth. Uh, and all of these can be researched independently depending on how deep a nerd dive you want to do. They all make for fascinating reading. The first is, is uh, what are called polystrate fossils. P-O-L-Y-S-T-R-A-T-E, polystrate fossils. Uh, these are, are uh, typically they are trees. Uh, that's a great example of trees where there will be a, a, a observable set of sediment strata, layers of sediment that typically are, are labeled by the geologists as coming from different geological ages, each age many, 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 many thousands of years in, in length. So in this age, this layer got laid down, and then bazillions of years later, this, this layer got laid down, and bazillions of years later, this layer got laid down. But in a couple of places, uh, there's a set of cliffs in Nova Scotia, and there's an exposed cliff, a specimen ridge in Yellowstone National Park right here in the U.S., where, where in those strata, ostensibly separated by these great ages, there are upright fossilized trees. There is no evidence around these trees of, of trauma in the surrounding rock as though the tree was driven in sometime way, way after the fact. No, in fact, the fossilization of the tree occurred concurrently with laying down the fossil layers. And that sort of polystrate uh, fossil phenomena is, in fact, not uncommon around the world. And it creates a huge anomaly for the uh, for those who would insist that those strata layers are always marking grand, vast geological ages, uh, at least often that cannot be the case. And by the way, the term anomalous is a great term. It means we can't explain it. We don't like it. It, wish, it really ought not be there, but it is. And so we're going to call it anomalous, stick it aside and pretend it doesn't exist. Now, that's my definition of what they're saying when they call something anomalous, but you hear it a lot. The second one is shallow ocean floor sediment. The rate at which seafloor sediment occurs is an observable, measurable rate. And according to some calculations, and I'm not going to attempt to be super scholarly with this, but I'll give you a resource in a moment. The, the sediment layer in the Earth's oceans is by and large about 1,250th of what current scientific consensus age of the Earth models predict. There's just not enough sediment on the ocean floors. You get from shallow mud to bedrock way too quickly. If those oceans have been out there for millions or even billions of years, the sediment levels should be far more than they are. And that's, that's essentially all over the world. In fact, a guy named Larry Vardaman uh, wrote a book called Sea Floor Sediment and the Age of the Earth. We'll have information about this in the show notes. Uh, it's Sea Floor Sediment and the Age of the Earth by Larry Vardaman. If you want to do the deep nerd dive into ocean floor sediment depths, um, and what they don't say about an extraordinarily old earth. The third one is the phenomena of fossilization itself. If a, if a, if a white-tailed deer dies today out in the Everglades somewhere, as I'm certain will happen, there's no chance it's going to fossilize because the body's going to be picked apart by scavengers 
Um, the, the, the big meat's coming off to big scavengers, and by the time we're done, the ants will strip the bones clean, and the weather will do the rest, and in a, just a short period of time, there'll be no evidence that deer ever existed. There certainly won't be any fossils. And yet, all over the world, we find these enormous deposits, these fossil beds. Well, the very fact of fossilization is proof of large-scale flooding, because you don't fossilize unless you get buried in sediment very quickly, and then in that sedimentation process, deprived of air and covered by the sediment, protected from scavengers, you have a, a chance of fossilizing. There also are implications about pressure and sort of a, it takes a sort of a traumatic sedimentation event to form fossils at all. So every fossil bed is evidence for a catastrophic flood. And those of us who have Bibles know where to look for that catastrophic flood. So just fossilization phenomena, particularly within that, the fourth of my sort of favorites, and this has been happening more and more in just the last few years. The, uh, the soft tissue discoveries in fossils. There have been in just recent years discoveries of, of fossilized animal specimens that the current secular consensus timetable wants to say must have died millions and millions of years ago. And yet there are intact, down to a cellular level, intact tissue and in some cases literal intact cells soft tissue and cells that have survived the fossilization of the overall specimen. Now, that's a lot easier to reckon with if we're dealing with a timetable that is measured in thousands of years as opposed to a timetable that is measured in millions, let alone billions of years. And then finally, there's uh, the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon, we are told in the, in the very, very old earth narrative, is the product of the gradual whittling of what came to be known as the Colorado River over an enormous period of time. The problem is, in the rocks at the base of the Grand Canyon, which rocks should be before the Cambrian, they should be pre-Cambrian rocks in the geologic timetable millions and millions of years back, there's all kinds of essentially modern fossilized plant material, not just surface debris, but in the warp and woof of the sedimentary rock at the base of the Grand Canyon are example after example after example after example of plant life that just can't be there but is. Perfectly consistent with a worldwide flood and the drain off of that flood, utterly inconsistent with a hyper-gradual formation of the canyon. Well, that has a limited de devotional value, and I get it. One of the things, one of the resources I want to recommend, as, as for those of you who've been wondering, and if you're nerd enough to care, <laughs> wondering about radiometric dating. What about carbon dating, and what about strontium lead dating, and those other sorts of... I want to make one final resource recommendation. By the way, I have a book on the Grand Canyon that we'll also throw some information about in the show notes. A book called Thousands, Not Billions by Dr. Don DeYoung is an entire book-length treatment of radiometric dating and what we ought to do with it as we want to desire to, and by faith do believe the Bible to be true. Look, 
That is a nerd science dump in the first episode of Beyond the Notes this year. But while it is a deep secondary issue, the age of the earth does matter as we consider in the weeks ahead the reality of a worldwide catastrophic flood and the imprint that flood would have left on the surface of the earth and did. We'll talk about it more in the weeks ahead. It is good to be back. I hope by now you're sharing and liking this podcast. It's certainly our joy to produce it. God bless you, and we'll talk again next week.